Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. If there's any here that has never seen your beauty, that have tasted and seen that you are good, Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to open up their hearts, that they may see that for the first time. And Lord, that we may all glorify you as you bring your children in. And for those of us that profess your name, that have tasted, that seen that, that has tasted of your spirit, Lord, let us proclaim that with all of our being this morning. Just make the things of this world just dim. Lord, that may we see the glory and beauty of your light. We pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. Take your Bibles with us to Mark chapter 14. We'll be looking at two different portions of Scripture as we continue in the passion and resurrection. So let's read this passage together as Jesus foretells Peter's denial in verse 26. So if you have your Bibles open, Mark chapter 14, 26 through 31. I'll read out loud. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out from the Mount of Olives, And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after that, I am raised up. I will go before you in Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Father, we make brash statements all the time. We're strong and brave in our minds, but yet, Lord, many times we have seen ourselves fail as Peter will, as we shall see, and as we all know. Father, as we look at these very familiar passages of scriptures, let us not wander in our mind, but let our hearts and our minds be set, that we may gather what your Spirit has for us, and may we respond to his moving. And Lord, let me speak words that are building up and encouraging. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As Dustin has shared with us last week, he instituted the Lord's Supper. It was the Last Supper. The eve is here, Jesus' appointed time is so near. As they finish the dinner, they begin to walk up from the upper room to the Mount of Olives where they are going to spend some time praying, as we'll see next week. Mark records to us that they're singing, and it was tradition to sing hymns from the Psalms, usually Psalm 113 through 118 and Psalm 136 during and after the Passover, so that's probably what they're singing. Jesus, as he knows his time is near, is still preparing his disciples. Jesus doesn't waste a moment. Even in his walking to a place, he's gathering around and he's telling them things, instructing them. He's preparing them for the dark days of his betrayal and his trial and his brutal torture and his crucifixion, which is only hours away. Their life is going to be changed dramatically. Jesus shows his providence as well as decree as it is he who predicts that all the disciples will fall away. And Jesus quotes Zechariah 13.7 in response to that. 
And in that passage, it states that it is God who will strike the shepherd. Yes, we know it's going to be the high priest and his council. We know that it's going to be Pilate and the Jews and others. But in this instance, we're really seeing that it's God who's going to strike his shepherd. And he's using an illustration here from just normal animal husbandry and pastoral life in which if a shepherd who was taking care of a sheep, he had to watch them. He had to guide them and direct them at all times. In this instance, he gives us a word picture if something were to happen to that shepherd, if he were to to die or if he were to leave the job or if something took away his attention, the, the sheep would just scatter not knowing what to do. Jesus is painting a picture of sharing them that it is certain that God will strike the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And in that moment, Jesus is predicting, is telling them with certainty is they will scatter. He will cause the sheep to scatter. He's not saying that they will lose their faith. Let's set that off at the front here as we go on. They're not going to lose their faith, but they are going to learn lose their courage. It will fail during this time of testing. As usual, Peter there, as we see, responds with bravado. He says, even though they all fall away, I will not. Yeah, that's, that's Peter for you. Everyone else may fall away. All these other 11 or these other 10 who are there, they're going to fall away, but not I. That's Peter for you. However, Christ tells Peter that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. As the rest of the disciples, they hear what Peter says. They themselves assure Jesus they will not fall away. Well, Peter can't speak for us. We'll stay there. They says we're all going to do. If we must die with you, we will. We will not deny you. They make the bold claim that they'll, not only will they not scatter, but they are also willing to die for him. And I, I believe they believe this. I think this is true in their hearts and their minds. They're willing to die for Jesus. In Peter's rebuke to Jesus about his denial, he's not referring to his commitment to personal suffering, but Peter is more or less thinking about a hero's death. He will stand and fight for Jesus, Messiah, the King. And he will do so, as we see in verse 51, when he grabs the sword and he cuts off a servant's ear. He's not saying, I'm going to personally suffer, but he's ready to go down with it all. He's ready to fight for it. Now, as a reminder, up to this point, we now have three predictions by Jesus on this dark night. The first one is going to be the betrayal by one of the disciples, Judas. We will see that next week. We also see now the prediction of desertion by all 12. They will scatter, they will fall away, they will leave Jesus. And then lastly, we see the prediction of a denial, a personal denial, by Peter. Now let's take a moment and jump ahead in our scripture to verse 66. Today we're doing something different. We're skipping a portion so we can see both ends of it. In verse 66, we're going to see that Jesus' last prediction of a denial by Peter becomes a reality. Look at verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, Jesus is now, as we're going to see in the the next few weeks, Jesus is in the courtyard. He's at the high priest. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself by the fire, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Verse 68, but Peter denied it. See, and I neither know or understand what you mean. This is a a common Jewish phrase, just saying, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not an out-and-out right denial, but it's just a way in which he could just make a statement. 
And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl in 69 saw him again and began to say to the bystanders, Hey, this man, he is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders themselves again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. In verse 72, we see the outcome, and immediately Mark records, the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter does exactly what Jesus predicted. The certainty of the denial was set in stone. First, he denies his friendship to Jesus, the servant girl outside the courtyard. As I said before, he quotes a phrase. Well, I just don't know what you mean. It's like uh, someone comes and says, uh, well, a mom comes in a home and says, who made this mess? I don't know what you're talking about. It's just a, you know, it's not an outward denial. I'm not lying. I, I just know what you're talking about. But as the girl follows him, as he moves himself from the fire, he now moves himself to kind of a, a gateway underneath something to kind of hide a little bit more from the crowd. She comes again looking at him more. And this time, instead of just doing it personally, she says to everyone around, says, hey, I, I, this man, he, he is with Jesus. And Peter denies it. Says, I do not know him. Then finally, he denies Jesus with a curse to the crowd. I do not know this man. Now Peter shows courage here by just showing up at the scene where Jesus is being interrogated. So let's give that. He had courage in being there. But not when his personal safety is at jeopardy. His love for Jesus did not stand the test of the fear of his own life. In fear, he states, I do not know this man, which stands in stark contrast to what he had said earlier of Jesus when he says, you are the Christ. The failure is very public and humiliating, and it's recorded for all of the world to see as history comes down. Peter learns that brash self-confidence in one's own ability leads to failure. I would die for you. I would die a hero's death for you. And at one moment, he was ready to as he grabbed the sword. But yet, when his own personal safety came, he was too fearful. It's interesting that Mark even includes this passage in the gospel. You might recall that Mark is writing mainly from the perspective of Peter. The gospel is most likely the recollections and sermons from Peter after the resurrection of Christ. You might even think that Mark, who most likely was a good friend of Peter and the gospel writers themselves, would wanted to avoid this type of humiliating personal experience. I know if, if I was writing a book uh, trying to portray Jesus in a good light and the disciples trying to start my own religion, I probably wouldn't put these type of humiliating experiences. But I, I think that she should show the, the Holy Spirit's work in the passages. However, Mark's purpose in writing this gospel of Jesus Christ was to encourage the Roman church who was beginning to suffer persecution of their own in Rome. 
He wants them to find strength in the time of testing and trial. And I believe that's why Jesus and the Holy Spirit shows this in our own lives and through the gospel. To do so, he points out that the failure of the number one apostle, Peter. And you may ask, well, why does Peter have to go through this? Why wasn't it Andrew or James or John? Why wasn't one of those apostles? Well, I believe it's because Peter is recognized by Jesus alone as the leader. Peter is always listed first in the list of disciples as you see the gospel. Cephas and Petra, they mean rock. His name means a rock. He was self-assured and he believed in his own strength as we shared with you before. In Mark chapter 8, verses 27, would you turn to that with me? Mark chapter 8, Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Christ. And what we see as we turn to that just as a matter of remembrance in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked all of his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Remember, and some said Elijah and one of the prophets. But he asked them, but who do you say that I am? It is Peter who stands up and says, you are the Christ. Yet he fails at this first test and trial to tell this to others. Why does Peter have to go through this? Well, I think it's very clearly as we look, there's two things. The first one, as you look on the screen, is Peter must undergo temptation from Satan. Peter must undergo some temptation from Satan before he is ready to lead the church and follow God fully. In Luke's record of this night, we see the words of Jesus where he says, Simon, Simon, speaking of Peter, Jesus says, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might shift you like wheat. But look at the words of Jesus. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. As we see here, we see a cosmic battle and argument going on. Satan is saying, let me have Peter. Let me have the first of disciples. Let me have the one who proclaims you. Let me take his power and his strength and I will shift him. I will show you what type of man he truly is. Jesus knows this. And in this, this we see almost a cosmic bargain again that God allows this to happen. As you look at the screen, I would give you again, you've seen this from me, from me before, but temptations are something that comes in our lives. They're designed by Satan to draw us away from God and to destroy our character. So what we see in this passage, what we're seeing here, is a design by Satan saying, give me Peter. During this time, I will draw him away from God and I will destroy Peter's character. And to be honest, if you and I were to stop right here in Mark, we would almost believe that he has succeeded. Yet we know the rest of the story. But it must be done that Peter goes through temptation. James chapter 1 says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is allured and enticed by his own desires. And this desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So what desire did Peter show here? Well, I think it's obvious in Scripture, at least as I read through it, Peter's desire was to die a hero's death. It was to show how strong he was, to prove his mettle, to show that I am above them. Hey, all these other disciples, 
Even my own brother, they will fall. They will scatter, but I will stand till the end. His desire was to show his brash confidence, to show himself as strong, but yet his desire conceived gave birth to sin as he denies Christ. And so as we see, he must undergo some temptation. But yet we also see the flip side of that coin because with every temptation, we see that it's a testing from God. And the same way that Satan wants to draw him to, we see that God wants to test Peter. So Peter must not only undergo testing or temptation from Satan, but he must undergo some testing from God. Jesus had earlier rebuked Peter for his wrong and sinful thinking. If you still have Mark there, look at Mark 8. If you still have that there, in verse 31, after he said, hey, you are the living God, he goes on to say, and he began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he must be killed, and three days he will rise. This is the first teaching of what Jesus must undergo. In verse 32, it says that Jesus said this plainly. But Peter, being who he is, a man of action, a man of confidence, takes Jesus to the side. You can almost imagine him saying, Jesus, we need to talk. You can almost see, maybe putting his arm around Jesus, maybe like, come here, Jesus, patting him on the shoulder and taking him to the side. And begin to rebuke Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus in turn rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus, speaking of God himself, is going to test. You see, testings and trials are designed by God to draw us closer to him and build our character Testings and trials are designed by God to draw us close. So in the very same instance that Satan is trying to destroy Peter's confidence, destroy Peter's character, and to draw him from God, God in his mercy and his grace is trying to build Peter up. And he's trying to draw him near to God. And the issue is what will happen? In this instance, we will see Peter fail. He fails the testing. Turn to 1 Peter 1, if you would. We'll see what Peter learns from this. Because even though he fell to the temptation, and even though he fell to the sin, we see that Peter's testing did not go in vain. And let me tell you this. If I can give you a word of encouragement as you're turning to 1 Peter. Is that you may fail in your sin. You may fail and fall into temptation. There may be times where you deny Christ, where you fall into that sin. But let me tell you, God's testing, God's word will never return void. For we learn from it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter recognizes the importance of trials and testings when he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. In prophetic words, he recognizes years later that this testing served only to strengthen him. It may not seem so at the moment, 
But in Acts chapter 4 and Acts 2, we will see the strength of Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, turn a few pages. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to what? Test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In his weakness, as we will see, God is glorified even in Peter's sin here. Even in Peter's failure, we will see God is glorified. This stumble of his is not terminal. And if I could give you any word of encouragement, is that your stumbling is not terminal if you're found in Christ. You see, because God gives a precious promise in Mark chapter 14, look in verse 28. And so with that, would you turn back to Mark 14? Because I want you to get this. You might have missed it as we read. We see the prediction of a scattering. We see a prediction of a denial. But you also see that there is a prediction, or let's use the word, a promise of a gathering. For Jesus gives a gracious promise in verse 28. Though all of them will fail to stand with him in the face of his persecution, Jesus graciously promises to restore them back to fellowship when he says, But after I am raised up, after I am killed, beaten, and tortured, after I am in the grave for three days, I will rise up and I will do what? I will go before you to Galilee. There is a great promise there. There is a great hope that is found in those words. What Jesus is saying, listen, you are going to scatter. You are going to fail me in my time of need. None of you will be there. Not only that, Peter, my number one, my man Friday, you're going to deny me in front of everyone. When I rise in victorious triumph, I'm coming for you. Not for judgment. Not for punishment, but for restoration. The most important part of this story is not Peter's denial, not the prediction of them scattering, but it's the prediction of restoring those who fail. Amen? You need to grab this, and and I need to grab this, for this is our hope. This is our joy. Take your Bibles, if you would, and look at Mark chapter 16. Jesus is being raised from the dead, right? He raises from the dead. The women go to see him. He's already out of the grave. But look at verse 7. But go tell his disciples and who? And Peter, that he is going before you. He says, go tell his disciples. And he points out personally, and go tell Peter that Jesus is going to Galilee to meet you. I'm going to Galilee to meet them. I'm going before them. Not for judgment, but for encouragement. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, this is another famous portion of Scripture. It's the part where Jesus is now in Galilee, and he's sitting down with his disciples, including Peter. Could you imagine the first time they sat down with Jesus for real? And they had left him. They had scattered. And Peter comes. Do you think it was part of their, their fear? What is Jesus going to say to us? Is he going to condemn us? Is he going to leave us, forsake us? But we don't see that. 
In John chapter 1, look at verse 15. They're finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, I would say that Peter has proven that he hasn't. He denied him because of the fear of his own safety. But Jesus says, do you love me? He says, you know that I love you. What did he say? And feed my lambs. And three times, and everyone knows this portion of scripture because of the, 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 the verbiage and the way the Greek words love goes, but that's not the point. The point is Jesus restores Peter back to number one disciple. He restores him even in his failure. In his public humiliation, the point of the story is that God restores those who stumble. Amen? We saw that in our scripture reading in Romans chapter 8. Not only does creation groan, but you and I groan for the adoption of sons. We know that if we've been called, we've been justified. If we've been justified, we've been glorified. For all things work to good, even in our trials and temptations, even when we pass them, even when we fail. The greatest story of all is that God restores his children. For what can separate us from the love of God? Can me being angry with my wife, can that separate me? No. Can me maybe stealing time from my employee, can that rob me from God's love? No. What if I deny Christ three times? Peter, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because God's grace covers that. Not that we should continue to sin, that grace may abound. What does Paul say? God forbid, let it not be so. But the story of Peter's denial and his failure is the fact that God restores. And if you take your Bibles again and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, you'll see Peter writes and speak as one who has lived out God's gracious restoration. And you and I need to grab a hold of this as we live our lives. For you and I live lives of public humiliation, of time and time again falling into the temptations of Satan. Many times you and I are drawn away from God and destroyed in character. But look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Look what he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now who's saying this? Who's writing this? Peter. The man who says, it doesn't matter if everyone leaves you, I will fight to the end. I will die a hero. What does he say? I'll humble myself that God may exalt. Peter lived his life to exalt himself before the cross. And we saw what a failure it led him to. But after the resurrection, Peter can say, I want to humble myself and allow God to exalt. Let's we go on. Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone who, to devour. And you can almost imagine Peter, as he's writing these words, is reflecting back to that day when he was sitting there and the, and the lady was asking him, You are. You know Christ. And he can imagine himself not following through as he writes, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced in your brotherhood throughout the world. And you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I think he can recall not only that sad, terrible night when he would remember the faces of those people that he denied Christ. As maybe even audibly he could still hear that rooster. Do you think there was a time after that when he heard the rooster cry that he did not go back to that fateful night? I believe so. And it might have been a time of painful remembering. But yet, and in the same way, he remembers the wonderful grace as every time he would eat fish. As every time he was preparing fish, he heard the words of Jesus, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Isn't it wonderful how God does that? The very things that still cause you bad memories and pains and anxieties are the very thing that God says should also cause you great joy as you're remembering that your suffering is not in vain. Amen? For you can see God restores and loves and forgives you in the very moments that you denied Him yourself. To Him... He writes, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Only a Peter who failed can write this today because he experienced the wonderful glories of God's love, mercy, and grace. And so can you. The Bible dictionary goes on about Peter. It says, Peter's love for and associations with Christ molded him into a man of stability, humility, and courageous services for God. Before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, that was all in his own doing. But it was only after the resurrection that it was the power of God that allowed him to do what his mind was trying to sell. It was in the power of the Spirit he became the noble pillars of the church. In Peter's letter to the churches, he writes to be humble, to give your cares to the Father, to be sober-minded, watch out for Satan, for he seeks to devour you, to resist the temptations, to be firm in your faith, to know that we don't suffer alone, and to rest in the promises of God. This is a story, not of just Peter's denial and failure. This is a story of God's restoration not just for Peter, but for you and I. And we need it, don't we, brother? We need it. You and I said today in our own failures and humiliation that comes up as I speak and as we talk. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is speaking to you now. You're no good. You cannot do it. You have failed. He's trying to draw you away. He's trying to destroy your character. But if you would turn back to a passage of Scripture that we've already looked at, some time ago. And that's right back to Mark chapter 8. For as Peter says, you are the, the, you are the living God. And then as he rebuked Jesus for saying that he was going to die and be betrayed. And then as Jesus in turn rebukes him and says, get you behind me, Satan. Jesus finishes off Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and says to them, if anyone would come after me in verse 34, Come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Peter forgot those words that night. 
For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and his holy angels. Peter had much to be ashamed of, but not at the coming of Christ. For when he went and entered into the presence of Christ that final day, he heard those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Do not be too harsh on Peter. For you and I have denied Christ many times. Have you failed like Peter? Yes, I have, as you have. Have you been ashamed of Christ? Yes, we have. Have you buckled under the pressure to live out your beliefs? Yes, we have. You're not alone. All of us in big and small ways have denied Christ, whether in our actions or in our attitudes. But let me tell you, here's the good news. God forgives. Our stumbles, our failures are not terminal. Christ has promised in John chapter 10. Write this down if you're taking notes. John 10, 27 verse 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's a promise. You will fail but you cannot be snatched out of the hands of a loving Father. He promises in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that you will face temptation, but he says that no temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man, but God is faithful. You may not be, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation who will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He also commands us to count it all joy, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testings of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So I encourage you this morning, as you consider Peter's denial, would you also consider Jesus' graceful and merciful gathering in and restoration? Second Thessalonians Paul writes as I close, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. If you're here this morning and you've had a humiliating failure, if you found yourself falling into temptation, if you have found yourself withering in the testings of God, would you find comfort in the restoration of a God who says, do you love me? Then serve me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you take a moment to pause, to consider what Scripture has, what the Holy Spirit may be asking you to do. Maybe it's time just to confess that failure, that withering under testing and the failure of temptation. Maybe it's time to get rid of your bravado, and all that courage in your own strength. Repent and ask God to restore you. Ask for forgiveness. 
It's time to rejoice in the suffering and the temptations we face, recognizing that God has predicted this. These are the promises that you will face these, but the promise of restoration and the gathering is coming. For he will gather us to himself, and he will ease every balm and every care that we have. Would you join and respond to the Holy Spirit's work this morning? Father, you're so good. This week, myself, I would take a page and more to, to list each and every failure that I personally know that I have failed and struggled in temptation or trials. And Father, that does not count the ones that I'm not even aware of. And Father, I, I want to thank you for Peter, for he is a, a great man who failed, but yet was restored by you. Not one of us could hold a candle to the courage and boldness of Peter after the resurrection. But yet, Father, you still restore us. You still gather. May we be like Peter, be bold, but yet trusting and humble before you. Father, if there's any here that need a gathering, would you do so this morning? If there are any here that are still scattered, will you call them? May they hear your voice. If there's any here that need restoration, Father, would you just surround them and embrace them in your love? Father, prepare us for the testings and the temptations we'll face this week. Father, prepare us for such things. We pray this in your name. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.